0: expressed in this program do not reflect those of KECI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Good evening. This is Carrie Rhodes. I'm your host of the Parenting Hour, and tonight I have a very fantastic guest. I have Dr. James McKenna joining me on air, and he is head of the Mother Baby Sleep Center at the University of Notre Dame, and uh, we're going to bring him on here. Good evening, Dr. McKenna. Yes, hi. Well, thank you so much for joining us on air tonight. How are you? I'm good. Is this Carrie? This is Carrie of the Parenting Hour. Thank you so much for joining us. We are really excited to share all your knowledge on co-sleeping.
1: Well, always my pleasure, Carrie.
0: Well, thank you. So maybe I think a great place to start is for many of our listening audience um, to define co-sleeping because definitions are very important and what that means.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Pretty easy too. Co sleeping designates any situation that a mother and a baby, or a father and a baby actually, are in sensory proximity of each other. It could be separate surface, it could be in the same bed, it could be a baby hanging from a basket, which okay. is in some cultures of the world how it happens, but within arm's reach of the mother. It could be a baby lying on a cradle board next to the bed with its mother right right there. So it's any situation, co-sleeping refers to any situation within which a committed adult caregiver is within the sensory range where both the baby and the mother can detect and respond to the sensory cues, such as smells and movement and touch and vision and audition, auditory signals of the other.
0: Wow. And so from all your research, what when you're having these mothers and infants come in for the testing, what were some of the first surprising findings you had about how mothers and infants interact during sleep?
1: Well, first, <clears throat> let me just say it was an utterly privilege to, you know, really be able to. Sorry about that. Oh, sorry. Um, a privilege to actually watch what I thought was such remarkable behavior, naturalistic behavior of mothers and babies. Moms and and or babies are not thinking about what they're doing. But in, in the dark room where we have an infrared light we can observe, I think it was just extraordinary to see the remarkable way in which their behavior and physiology, which is to say their heart rates and their blood pressures and their brain waves and their sleep progression and their body temperatures and heart Rate itself Hmm. are entwined, and that the behavior of the other becomes quite uh, regulatory of the physiology of the other. And that's what we were really testing for because we suspected that human babies born with such neurological immaturity, Mm -hmm. with only 25% of their brain, and are actually completing a fourth, um, you know, gestation, a fourth trimester, Mm -hmm. we knew that with such an immature nervous system that. The mother's body would be regulating the baby, but what we didn't realize is that the baby's body was regulating the mother's sleep architecture huh. and her progression and her heart rate and her blood pressure just in the same way
0: wow that that is actually very fascinating wow <laughs> um, so. There seems to be. Uh, I know when I had my children and I was considering co-sleeping and, and breast sleeping, there was a lot of controversy. And to me, I always thought, well, co-sleeping makes sense because these infants are born and you look at these big gigantic beds and the babies would be in there by themselves in another room. And I thought, wow, that to me, I guess in in my gut sense or you know, this mother's intuition yeah. of my, for me personally, it didn't make sense. And I know that you've called it... A biological imperative. And oh, uh, yes. I want to know if you could speak to that a little bit.
1: Sure. I mean, first, think about it. We're mammals. Mm-hmm. We are defined by our breastfeeding behavior. If you're breastfeeding babies, where are your babies? Your babies are right next to you. So mm-hmm. the fact that somehow sleeping with your baby or in close proximity is an odd, interestingly strange, weird behavior mm-hmm. is only a product of a very Western industrialized un-empirically, biologically-based perspective, all cultural ideology had nothing to do with babies, everything to do with where we thought babies should want to be or where parents should want them to be had nothing to do with them. Hmm. The biology is really very clear that babies' bodies are designed to respond in turn to these cues of heat and smells and mother's milk um, odors, her vestibular movement patterns and babies are like born like these little sensory sponges that are incorporated not into the social psychological part of their brains which it is too but primarily in how their heart rates develop and how their breathing patterns develop and how many times they breastfeed through the night and how their brain grows in terms of white matter and gray matter and interconnections we are talking about fundamental infant physiology in terms of how close the parent is. We begin with mothers because they breastfeed. And that nutrient and that sensory arrangement is like the new umbilical cord. It works just like the in utero umbilical cord, bringing nutrients, bringing sensations, uh, getting rid of toxins. building up immunities by way of mother's breast milk and her delivery to it, which is enhanced Mm -hmm. by the proximity of that baby. So insofar as a default system, this is it. This is the normative, expectable relationship fundamental to the biology of the parent, mother, and the baby.
0: Wow, that is just phenomenally amazing. I'm just hearing, I'm like, wow, that's so amazing. Um, For those of you just tuning in, I'm your host, Carrie Rose of The Parenting Hour, and I'm joined by Dr. James McKenna today, and he is recognized as the world's leading authority on mother-infant co-sleeping in relationship to breastfeeding and SIDS. So in recognition of his work in 2009, he was admitted as a fellow into the select body of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, the world's most prestigious scientific society. And then that same year, in recognition of his extensive work, Uh, with television, radio, and print media. He received the American Anthropological Association, the 2008 Anthropology in the Media uh, Award. And that's one of the top three awards presented to anthropologists. So uh, your work is really quite phenomenal, Dr. McKenna. And I I really wanted to have you on air today because there seem to be so many myths uh, around bed sharing. And another concern, (laughs) too, is that really modern bedding is not really... um, Designed for babies, and so parents really have to make some considerations sure. for safe co sleeping guidelines. So let's maybe let's uh, dig into maybe some of the controversy a little bit, and then let's talk about those safe co sleeping guidelines for our families listening.
1: Sure. Keep in mind that when you hear about these de- these terrible um, newspaper reports of yes. another co sleeping death, you're never actually hearing what has killed the baby. Right. And this has been such a frustration mm-hmm. to me that you never know how many other children are in the bed. You don't know if the babies were sleeping on a pillow face down. You don't know mm-hmm. if the parents were desensitized by drugs or alcohol. You don't right. know if they were sleeping on a water bed where the baby is prone mm-hmm. and you know buried into this very strange kind of bed. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a 100 years of cultural baggage that makes people first cling to the notion that, oh, my God, it must be the fact that the baby is, quote, bed-sharing. No, right. that's not true. Mm-hmm. It's a fundamental myth, and I'll challenge and stand up with any American Academy of Pediatric Scientist and... And debate them, and they will go down in flames.
0: Fantastic. Because I know
1: what is going on here.
0: <laughs> well, no. you have this—you have this this lab, and you've done this yes, extensive research. Yes, and you find research.
1: no one that has actually studied the physiology and behavior of bed sharing ever argues a, a simplistic recommendation against bed sharing. Like you were saying, Carrie, we have beds, we have conditions, mm-hmm. we have situations that are not healthy for babies to be sleeping next to an adult body Mm
2: -hmm. that's
1: fine we recognize that but we also recognize that when we talk about safe solitary crib sleep we go after the factors associated with it like for example do you put a crib now in a bedroom by itself no you Mm -hmm. bring the crib into the room right next to the mother's bed or or position whatever Mm -hmm. fantastic Great, safe co-sleeping, okay? Mm -hmm. You don't put the baby prone in the crib. And you don't throw the baby with duvets in its crib or put lots of stuffed animals around it. You take them out. You make the crib safe to use. Mm -hmm. And there are conditions by which that can take place. Mm -hmm. So when we go after crib death, we always go after the factors that make it dangerous. And the solution is education and to remediate and to ameliorate, get rid of, Mm -hmm. the unsafe factors. When a baby dies in a bed, the first thing you hear is, oh my gosh, another bed-sharing, death-proving bed-sharing is dangerous. The factors within which the baby died Mm -hmm. are ignored, dismissed, thought unimportant. Mm -hmm. And the recommendation is to eliminate not so much what made the baby die, maternal smoking, Mm. during her pregnancy, putting the baby on a pillow, as I say, other children in the bed. No. Mm-hmm. The solution for that, total double standard, is eliminate the practice. Right. But what's re- the reality is two to three million mothers every night in the United States are bringing their babies to bed with them. Right. And that is a a calibration or a calculation, I guess would be the better word,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's determined from the number of breastfeeding mothers there are between about 77 and 80 percent now. And of those mothers in five different studies, how many report them bed sharing? And it ranges mm-hmm. from 42 percent to 80 percent. And when you do the calculations, you can get anything from about 1.8 million to 3.2 million mothers every night are sleeping with their babies. Right. And that's telling you something about the system. Right and I call it breast sleeping,
2: right, an right.
1: integrated biological and behavioral system totally different from a bottle-feeding formula feeding, uh, feeding mm-hmm. bed-sharing situation. Right. And this has been the distinction that the American Academy of Pediatrics, with full knowledge of these issues, have been refusing to make.
2: Mm-hmm. So you
1: have parents going in one direction, completely uh, dismissing and lying to their pediatricians about where their babies are sleeping, mm-hmm. and yet they're all, in many, many ways, in a, sh- in a huge monumental shift, they're sleeping with their babies.
0: Right. And, and I know from your research, you, you've said that it is absolutely wrong to say that just straight across the board, co-sleeping is dangerous because room-sharing... Which seems to be an agreed
1: upon thing.
0: Right, and then that reduces an infant's chances of dying by half.
1: Right, absolutely. And this is what I've argued through my whole career. And of course, the American Academy of Pediatrics, though I know everybody on the committees, and and actually I've been in symposia and published my papers everywhere they have, they have taken a very political, what I consider a political position, a Mm -hmm. non scientific position, and have chosen to dismiss and ignore parents dismiss and ignore scientific studies Hmm. that in any way refute or make less precise or that disqualify the kinds of recommendations that they have made, these simplistic and oftentimes vitriolic attacks
2: Hmm.
1: on not just bed sharing but parents that indeed choose in a very responsible and educated way to sleep with their babies. Mm -hmm. But the good news is, Carrie, that parents are winning. This is a a bottom-up movement. Yes. And American Academy of Pediatrics can be real happy with their work and think they're doing amazing things. In the meantime, parents are making the decisions, becoming educated, and beginning to sleep with their babies with very positive results.
0: Right. And, and the other benefit to, you know, this breast sleeping is the fact that the bed sharing makes it easier for that relationship. And I know that was important to me. I, I breastfed my children for a long time and I thought, well, gosh, how am I going to be able to breastfeed if I'm not hearing the baby has to be in the room? And so I co-slept with all my children. And that really, I, I believe, increased my child's opportunity to get more um, breast milk and hind milk. Of and course. Oh,
1: goodness. The, the results have been published time and time again, the benefits. Uh, breast milk is dose-specific. That is, the more you get, the better the protection, right. both short-term and long-term. And, indeed, they have the American Academy of Pediatrics, a seven-person committee or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They refuse to um, ever invite anyone that has a different views or a different scientific basis. Mm-hmm. In fact, all of their recommendations are based on epidemiology that has absolutely the greatest chance of being the most incorrect national statistic set ever devised when it comes to asking people whether they're sleeping with their babies, because most parents don't perceive that they are sleeping with them, right. even when they are.
0: Well, especially and, if they're coming in and out of room, and they're kind of doing it at-hoc, yes, exactly. like intermittent, yeah. right, right?
1: Right. So my, my challenge to them in print has been that if they really looked at how the... Um, answers are being formulated by parents in these case control studies Mm -hmm. when they ask for the babies that have lived where they were sleeping that probably 40% or 50% of the mothers and dads were not so much purposely lying, but reporting where the baby begins the night mm. in the crib, but not where the baby ends, ends up. the night. <laughs> right.
0: <is> the bed. <laughs> right, and that yeah, I could see that. No, the fascinating thing to me is I went through your research, and it, it was noted that in Japan where co-sleeping and breastfeeding, uh, you know, in the absence of maternal smoking or any other conditions, right. but yes. in Japan where co-sleeping and breastfeeding is the cultural norm, rates of sudden infant Death syndrome are lowest in the world, of course
1: and they 've never responded the American Academy to the fact that most cultures in the world don 't even know such a thing where a healthy baby ostensibly goes to bed and, and wakes up or doesn 't wake up at all and dies through the night mm-hmm. and that is that 's compelling it 's not an answer in any scientific sense, but it gives one's pause, they have tried to argue that it's an inherent risk no matter which way you do it, whoever you are, Mm -hmm. whatever your circumstances, and this is a falsification. Mm -hmm. And I've offered evidence for parents to challenge at every level, the media when they state this, local coroners when they state this, who really end up not really having a very holistic sense of who babies are or how parents behave with parents and why they do, mm-hmm. which is for all good biological purposes. So I'm very, very thankful to uh, having, I think, a variety of researchers getting the word out to parents, and they read it, they see it, and it makes sense to them, it matches their experiences, and they've successfully challenged this very inclusive, um, elite group that have made these really dangerous and simplistic statements about the relationship between a neonate infant and its mother Hmm. and what is safe and is what not.
0: Right. I I think one thing I would like to address too is that um, you know there are some specific factors that increase SIDS. Not you know not breast sleeping and definitely not bed sharing or co-sleeping but what are some of those uh, factors that increase the chances of SIDS in a bed sharing uh, type environment and obviously we don't know all the different types of environments in which people sleep but there I I would imagine there's some standards that increase the risk of SIDS.
1: Right we could know a lot more but the uh, National Institutes of Health haven't chosen to do the kinds of studies that would uh, tend to show validation of mothers and babies sleeping together. They have not funded it in 20 years Mm. An answer to the question, what makes it safe? They keep saying, oh, we don't know what makes it safe, so we can't possibly support it. Mm. But the point is that they begin a priori with the assumption that it could never be safe, that it's not good, Mm. and that people are too stupid to be able to create a safe sleeping environment, which is not their choice to make. That's a social judgment, not a scientific one.
0: Right, it is. And so
1: they ignore the kind of research that they claim they don't have.
0: Hmm. And
1: and people should keep telling them this and make them and hold them responsible for this. Um, But you're right, there are particular conditions. Is that what you were asking me?
0: Yeah, you know, I think there are. Yeah. And and I think sure. um, like if, if a parent were to come to you or maybe through your research and you make these recommendations, yes. Yes. although again, um, not just saying, you know, everybody has a different sleeping environment. We know that. But yes. what are some of the, the safe recommendations? The primary ones. Well, yeah.
1: the primary ones are pretty simple to get a hold on. One, putting your baby on its back. But if you're breastfeeding, that's the given default position. It's the only way babies can be getting to the breast and back. But mm-hmm. on the back. Mm-hmm. So, back sleeping, not smoking during your pregnancy, incredibly important because mm-hmm. it damages the arousal mechanisms of babies and it increases their risk, no matter where they're sleeping, or and, dying with SIDS. Okay. Unfortunately, structural racism, mm. institutional racism, marginalization mm. of different ethnic groups is a risk factor for SIDS, even black women that are at the highest socioeconomic levels likely due to the embodiment of the kinds of daily offenses they experience in the cortisol mm. rates of, in their blood, mm. make somehow their babies less able to be developed and healthy as maximally as they can, inducing premature birth, which, in fact, is a risk factor for sudden infant death syndrome. Mm. And that's something that only research and monies put forward to it can understand that aspect of the black-white-Hispanic disparity. But smoking, of course, is a a risk factor for endangering babies' cells. Um, Not breastfeeding, I can't emphasize that enough. Hmm. It really changes everything about babies sleeping with their mothers, but not just that. The whole brain architecture is determined. The amount of white matter in glial cells is determined by the amount of breast milk they get. Mm
2: -hmm. And that
1: babies that are breastfed versus formula fed have significantly greater glial connection cells that interconnect and more um, white matter in their brain. So we are talking about fundamental advantages of breastfeeding. There's been a huge disparity between black mothers breastfeeding or choosing to and white Mm -hmm. and Hispanic who choose at higher uh, numbers. Mm -hmm. And to put money amongst our African American populations to enhanced breastfeeding rates and, and stimulate it, make it familiar with black populations, which mm-hmm. are not as exposed to it, is critical in reducing the SIDS rate. I always suggest the best possible way to sleep in modern beds with your baby is to be absolutely breastfeeding.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that a breast sleeping, that is breastfeeding and sleeping in the bed with your baby, um, in the absence of all known hazardous factors, mm. um, which is the more optimal condition, is the absolute safest way one can sleep on the same surface with their baby. And that's what you find around the world where their SIDS rates are so rare Mm -hmm. um, and so low that you have the safest possible conditions, but yet the most important biologic conditions being preserved. Non-smoking among the mother and breastfeeding and bringing her baby to bed on surfaces that are stiff enough and and away from um, objects that can uh, obscure or block the airflow, free airflow um,
0: um,
1: for the baby.
0: And I know that there's some research, and maybe you're working toward an article at this time on how. Uh, the regulating of infant breathing, and so less crying, this crying can sometimes deregulate the breathing, and that's something you're kind of, um, are you writing about that currently? Is that my understanding?
1: Um, Well, not exactly. I recently published a paper that suggests that the origin of colic and inconsolable crying Mm -hmm. and SIDS may well reside with the very unique Species, human species characteristics of our breathing system mm. that changes between one month and seven months that permits the baby to learn how to voluntarily control breath in relationship to and complementary to the inherent innate brainstem or more primitive autonomic breathing. And that we need to be able to control um, how much air we release, um, how fast we do it, and how much air resides in the lungs, which we all learn because of language. It's a Mm -hmm. very, very different respiratory system. Mm -hmm. And I made the case that uh, inconsolable colic crying is a result potentially of a glitch in this system Mm -hmm. where the baby loses control. The baby can initiate a cry but has no capacity to end it.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: its uh, breath, breathing, and its voice become locked together out of the control of the baby, leading to colic, where these two signals of both voluntary and involuntary breathing are both firing independent of the baby's own willfulness or volition. Mm -hmm. And the baby, in response to it, becomes afraid and does more of what it's trying to reverse, Mm -hmm. which is to cry. cry. So the baby's caught in this horrible trap. But I think what you're referring to is that, that crying is a behavior that is very much related pulmonically that is heart right. uh, behavior and, and oxygen saturation levels and breathing control um, to um, this unique human system where when you fall asleep, you know, your body takes over your brainstem, it controls your breath, mm-hmm. but when you go into dreaming, it shifts into a voluntary, you participate in it. Mm -hmm. But then when you're done dreaming, and this is true for the baby, it passes the baton to the other system. Mm -hmm. But they may not actually be, you know,
0: uh, developing along the
1: same pathway, Mm -hmm. and it could lead to the baby not sending the baton or the neuronal message to the other system, and the baby languishes and becomes hypoxic. But the good news is when they're sleeping with their mothers or somebody, there's other streams of stimulation that can supplement and compensate for perhaps a mixed internal signal. And that's the paper that I published on and what, what might be the actually great microenvironment to mediate both against sudden infant death syndrome and the duration of colic.
0: Well, that, that is fascinating. I would love to uh, please send that, and I would love to share that sure. with, uh, on my media uh, sites and, and get that I out will. to families that want to read it, because it is, it is fascinating, because when you think about it, you know... If babies are born prematurely, especially when we talk about these other factors that cause premature um, births, and then you look at the fact that, okay, we, now we have this fourth trimester because all babies are developing neurologically different, but they're all born neurologically oh, immature. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. so they need that time to mature right. for that baton to be passed off to those systems correctly. So I, I find that fascinating. And um, we are about at the end of our time, uh, just a couple minutes left in our show. And for those of you just tuning in, I I've been joined by Dr. James McKenna. and He's really considered the world's authority when it comes to, um, I'll just title it breast sleeping now because I like that and it's an easy one to remember. But in close, um, what are some final thoughts for our listening audience on co-sleeping?
1: More than ever, I think what our culture has done to us is pretty much disempower us to to make parents and mothers and dads think they have absolutely no ability to understand what their babies need. need. And I want to say, please do... Trust yourself to be sensitive to what your baby is teaching you. Mm-hmm. And always remember, babies don't have really wants. They don't have agendas. Mm-mm. They yeah. simply have needs. And the one thing they can do well is to communicate to you what ways they can respond most favorably to. And, and, and the answer to the question as to why they will respond in certain ways is because it's in their best interest. Mm-hmm. So babies do start stop protesting sleep isolation when their parents come retrieve them because it's in their best interest. They don't sleep through the night because it's not in their best interest to do that. Their job is to get lots of breast milk, right? To sleep right. To, to feed, to sleep and wake, sleep and feed and wake, sleep and feed and wake. That's what their job is. And if given the microenvironment, the mother to do that, that's what they know how to do.
0: Well, that, I, I appreciate everything you have to say because I just believe, uh, as as your article stated, it is a biological imperative. And I'm so appreciative of the time that you took with us today in our listening audience. And I think it's so beneficial. And again, those of you just tuning into the Parenting Hour, I've been joined by Dr. James McKenna. And here in the United States, he remains a primary spokesperson to the media on issues pertaining to infant parental sleeping arrangements, nighttime breastfeeding, and SIDS prevention. And so you can find out a lot about his work by going to co-sleeping.nd.edu. And wonderful resources there for parents frequently asked questions some videos and um, really talking about safe co-sleeping guidelines, bed sharing controversies and uh, anything. So a phenomenal support for families. So thank you so much for your really... um, really life altering work in this field and trying to be a voice for families to just tune into their gut instinct and, and be able to right. take care of their babies in ways that we've we've done yep. throughout now, history Carrie, it's,
1: it's pretty simple <laughs> i i hate to be even a spokesperson for things that are so normative and yes, yes. all of us have a have have been given the gift to be able to respond to our babies you don't need einstein toys you don't need technology <laughs> right. all you, you need is you yep. your body and engagement and carrying your baby wherever you go. And
0: and eye and contact and compassion yep. and all these things, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And I'd love to have you on again in the future. And please do share that article and I'll get that out. And thank you great. so much for joining us, Dr. McKenna.
1: Thanks, Carrie, for inviting me. I appreciate it very much.
0: Thank you. Have a great rest of your evening.
1: Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Again, just an amazing show with Dr. Jim McKenna and I will get that up. I'm Carrie Rhodes, your host of The Parenting Hour, and I am live every Thursday at 5.30 on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. If you like what you're hearing, please go subscribe to the podcast on KUCI.org, and I'm also on Stitcher as well, and you can contact me on my social media at Carrie L. Rhodes on Twitter. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll keep bringing you great programming here on The Parenting Hour.